Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore all things assisted reproductive technology. I'm Ellen Trackman, and I'm here with Jennifer White, my sister co-host and co-owner of Colorado Surrogacy. And today we're going to start... <laughs> Jen, do you want to say hi? Wait, I, was say, I want to say hi. hi. Oh, yeah. oh no, I say, okay. Good. You can jump sorry. in. Yeah. And now now I feel like I don't have anything to say because I feel self-conscious. Oh, do you, poor do me. Do you want to talk about having a park named after you? I feel like that's always very impressive. Uh, I do have a park named after me in England. I mean, it's probably less <laughs> impressive because nobody could find it, but you know, that's okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it's very, like internationally, you have like land named after you. Um, however, your name being Jennifer White is kind of, I mean, I, it is lots like of things named after you. I don't know. Common. I mean, but that one was specifically named for me. I do have photos of me with the plaque at the naming ceremony and all that good stuff. So that you that should post really that. Is. Okay. You should um, put that on your website. I will see what I can find. It. Yeah, Otherwise absolutely. I might not believe you. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, prove so it or it didn't today, happen, right? yeah. So today we're going to start because we had a call with a question, and we feel like it actually fits really well with um, with our interview. So we're going to play the call slash question, which thank you, and we always encourage people to to call in and ask questions, and then we'll we'll answer the questions to the best of our ability. Hi, ladies. My name is Melissa. I live in California. And I just want to know, how does one vet clinics? Um, because I do live in California. There's a clinic around every corner. And I want to know if there's some federal guidelines, if there's like a disciplinary board, how are they ranked, if, if at all? And just in general, how how does one choose a good clinic as opposed to, you know, just winging it and going to the one down the corner? Um, I'd appreciate any help and feedback. Great. Thank you. Great question, Melissa. Thank you for calling. So um, several facets, so many, so many um, things to go off of. So one thing that you can always do when you're checking for clinics is that they are required to report their, there's certain numbers that are required to report to the CDC. And then optionally, if they are a member of SART, which is kind of a sister organization or related to ASRM, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, they um, report numbers there as well. So indicate their, indicating their levels of success. Um, so I think those are good numbers to look at and have an idea of how well a clinic is doing with the caveat that I understand that those numbers might not be fully accurate to give you like the full, not, not, they're not accurate, but you know, I think it could be that a clinic is working with like much harder cases. And so their numbers of success might be a little bit lower than a clinic that's like, we're only going to take the easy cases. So I think that, you know, looking at those numbers, doing your research, trying to find others who've gone to the clinic, looking at reviews, um, trying to get a full picture of the clinics around you that are good options, or even ones if you're willing to travel, um, helps to start getting a good idea of who you're who you're going to. But I mean, the and, more and that, you- <clears throat> that leads to something I would definitely also add in there too, that is yeah. a little more squishy on this end, is I always advise people to talk to the staff at the clinic, especially like if you're in a donor program, talk to the nurses and make sure that you like the nurses and that you feel like they're going to be on top of things because they are going to be more than, I mean, of course the doctor is very important and their medical knowledge is really important, but you're going to be dealing with those nurses 
all the time and the staff and the front desk staff all it's the so time. It's so true. And we've had and people that were like, we love the doctor and they're like, the office was terrible. And it can make such a difference to your experience. So that was my biggest thing is that absolutely a hundred percent explore those numbers. Make sure that the doctor is a good doctor and what you want out of a clinic, but really and truly make sure you like their staff and that their clinic staff is really good for you. Yeah. Uh, same thing. So I know you asked about clinics, but they're also similar for looking at attorneys and agencies or matching programs, as someone called them, as we were actually recently discussing that there is some sensitivity about the word agency as we use it. So we talk about, you know, there's quote agencies that find women who want to be surrogates or gestational carriers specifically and match them with intended parents. Um, but because quote agencies aren't regulated like an adoption agency is, they're kind of anyone can call themselves an agency. So there are a lot of people, especially attorneys who are sensitive to this, will say, oh, you have a matching program or a matching entity. Um, and just be aware it's because of this unregulated nature of, of, quote, agencies. Anyway, so also looking into agencies and attorneys, and this today's episode is just a huge kind of a reason why you want to to really do your research and try to find out what's going on before you sign up to to, you know, committing a large, you know, large commitment of your life large and money, money yeah. and time um, to someone who might not be doing something that's that's ethical or right or maybe under FBI investigation. <clears throat> yeah, let, let, let's let let's let Kim tell us this story here. We are here again, very lucky to do a second interview with Kim Surratt. Um, for those of you who missed the first episode, I strongly recommend going back and listening to to hear about Kim's really impressive background for all that she's doing to help them grow families, as well as all the work she did to change the law in Nevada to be much more friendly towards growing families. But today's very special episode, we are going to specifically talk about a really scary and horrifying case that um, Kim had some personal um, touch with and trying to correct the, the wrongs that were being done. Um, Kim, do you want to start us out with kind of how does, how did it start? <laughs> when you start it that way, it's like, oh no, what is it? Yeah, <laughs> right? Oh, it's a big mystery. It's a horrifying story. And it is, yes. but you know, it's one of those stories where it's, it's a good lesson for a lot of people to realize what they need to watch out for. And there's always bad people in the world, right? I mean, there's criminals in every industry. So you just, you have to be careful and you have to watch out and do the right thing. But um, yeah, so th this story involves, uh, it, it involved a network of people. There was an attorney in California and uh, a couple of attorneys in Maryland and um, surrogates in several states. But, um, you know, just to, I think the easiest way to tell the story is to say why I was suspicious I, about I it. I think so, so too. That's what was that call yeah. that you got where you first were like, what is going on here? So, yeah, I had a surrogate call my office and my paralegal took the call. And as she's talking to her, the surrogate keeps telling her that the agency wants to rematch her with new intended parents. Which totally makes sense if you're not pregnant right like and for some people who are very unfamiliar with with surrogacy and you know for a good part of the population and I tell my new clients this all the time if you're really familiar with it and understand it something's wrong with you 
um, unless you've been really involved in trying to have a surrogate for a while, right? Because they always say, well, this is so daunting and scary. And I go, yeah, it should be because it's not something that's familiar to the average person. The average person goes to McDonald's. The average person does not use surrogacy. So it is new for most people. So for most people, when they hear that, oh, they're going to be rematched, they think, well, I don't know. Can you do that? Is that possible? What can you do in surrogacy? For attorneys and for those of us who do a lot of work in this area, we go red flag, emergency, light flash. Well, and just just like to back about like what the word rematch means to us. Like to me, a rematch would normally be like um, this woman has volunteered to be a gestational carrier. An agency has matched her with these intended parents or a single intended parent who is looking to have someone help them. And then for whatever reason that their path changed, they got pregnant, they adopted, whatever it is, they decide they don't want to go forward or she has medical issues and she, or she doesn't want to go forward. And so that match breaks and maybe another couple rematches, quote, rematches with her. But that's all before she's pregnant. Before she's it's pregnant. possible that there was a transfer and it failed and then there's a rematch, but never, never, ever when she's pregnant. And so this woman right. told you and this woman was pregnant. was pregnant as a surrogate. Yeah, she was pregnant. She was claiming she was a surrogate. She was claiming the agency wanted to rematch her. And the reason she was so, so upset was because she wanted to use a midwife. And the agency was saying the intended parents didn't want to use her anymore because she wanted to use a midwife. Which is crazy. Like, midwife is like so, the tiniest. Like, this is not the, this is not the problem right there. Like, that is not. Well, right. also, they should have talked about that, like, in advance yes. before she got pregnant. <laughs> Well, you know, sure, if everything was legit, but, you know, it's these little red flags where my paralegal goes, she's supposed to be rematched. The next part of the story was the intended parents supposedly had a whole bunch of children already um, that they, like, was it 13 children or something like that was the story they told her. What did she think was the genetic makeup of the child she was carrying? Did she think the child she was carrying was genetically related to the parents? Because that's, that's frequently the norm that either she, she did okay. not well so you know this is there's more, you know, <laughs> more of the so story so that because we were just as confused you're asking all the questions that i sat there and looked at my paralegal and said well whose whose embryo yeah. was it who's you know th- those kind of things and my paralegal's looking at me just big eyed going Kim, you have to talk to this woman. I'm pretty sure there's a whole lot more going on here, and it's that. <laughs> and I'm really she's like, she's just so thinking I get like about a, the birth plan. Like she's thinking that that's, you know, my, portion yeah, the surrogate thought it was just about the birth plan. My my paralegal had already caught on. Uh, there's all kinds of fishy, suspicious things yeah. here, and mind you, I have an extremely very adept paralegal who really knows the area yeah. of surrogacy. And we had done a lot of work together. So, um, you know, it was enough for her to just get panicked and say, get on the phone now with this woman. So I got on the phone. I'm asking all the same questions you're asking, (laughs) trying to figure out what is this storyline? I don't understand it. And finally, the surrogate tells me, and mind you, this surrogate's in Las Vegas, so she's in Nevada where I'm at. So um, the reason she had called me is another attorney who – um, is very well known and has a great reputation. Um, and Marilyn had told her, you need to call Kim. And 
so she, we're going through the story, and she goes, oh, by the way, I saw on one of the surrogacy blogs that the FBI might be involved in this. Oh, by the way. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> but she's still panicked and worried about the midwife. But, you know, I don't want to – this is a surrogate who had just been – she had been duped in so many ways. And when I say surrogate, I'm putting air quotation marks around that just so everybody knows. Because really, at the end of the day, she was not a surrogate. Um, so I started calling the different people that uh, the attorney in Maryland. I got a hold of the FBI, and, I, I'm and the storyline is the FBI. Like you're like, oh, I'll just call the FBI. <laughs> How does one do that? Yeah. <laughs> the attorney in Maryland had a name and a phone number of an agent she thought might be involved because they had already started getting suspicious okay, there. Um, and so I called him directly, and. As I put the pieces together, what we figured out was the actual storyline was you have a woman who she was claiming a Nevada address, but she also had a California address acting as, quote unquote, the agency. Um, it was not a formed agency with the secretary of state or any co as a company or anything else, but that's what she was calling herself. And you had an attorney, like I said, in California her firm. And then you had a, a couple of attorneys in Maryland also involved. And what they you, were doing is they were, okay. yeah, know. Teresa Erickson was the attorney in California. It's all over the news and the media. It's not like it's secret. And Hillary Neiman was the main one in Maryland. Um, I say a couple, cause there was a couple of people at her firm that were also kind of uh, involved in that, but mainly it was H Hillary Neiman and Teresa Erickson. Uh, Carla, uh, oh, and I just forgot her last name. Um, it, her first name was Carla, was the woman acting as, okay. quote unquote, the agency. So what they were doing is they were getting women and they were shipping them off to the Ukraine. They were telling them, you're signed up with our agency, you're a surrogate, we're going to send you to the Ukraine to a fertility clinic, and we're going to get you pregnant. Now, again, and your client, your client had just, had she just found them online and then reached out and then they, you know, shipped her off. To yeah, pretty much through the surrogacy blogs. Uh, so where were, when were they signing legal in this too? Like, how were they, were they signing legal? They Did they have legal agreements? They weren't. And so, you know, you've got, and you've got surrogates that were a little bit naive about the process, of course. But they, you know, they don't know. They're they're relying right. that they've got a literally right. Teresa Erickson had been on every major news channel, the Today Show, all that kind of stuff, and so they assume she's legit. Yeah, so she looks legit. She looks like the you know the leader in the industry. When the surrogates are going, okay, well Teresa Erickson's involved. Whatever she says, the process is. Then we'll go through that process. So, but you know, they were yeah. blindly and just for. For our listeners' sake, that's very unusual. Normally, you have a legal agreement in place between the gestational carrier and, and the parents before you'd ever even start medication for embryo transfer. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you know, when this first happened, um, well, before we talk about what they were doing, you know, part of the discussion I had with the FBI was the FBI said, so show me where in the law it says it's not legal to do this without a contract until after she's pregnant. 
Okay, and you don't understand that is the that is the big concept of what makes surrogacy even a legitimate process. It is well, and the California statute requires California it. does now and Nevada does now. Uh, but not then. Uh, now. <laughs> so it was kind of vague at that time. And it was one of those things where the FBI is trying to really hang their hat on how to make how to look at this in terms of why it was illegal. And so we had big abstract conversations at the time about, look, it's you can't just find a pregnant woman on the street and say she's a surrogate. You have to enter into it with the intent to be a surrogate. You have to attend to carry for these people. That's what makes it a surrogacy and not an adoption. But the law was vague at that time, and it was rough to get through. But when you look at all the other things they did, you realize, no, the FBI had plenty to hang their hat on. They were... So the Teresa Erickson um, and the other co-conspirators were obtaining medications from Mexico, essentially, that were like the birth control for the surrogate to go on and giving them to her. So you have an attorney administering medication. Um, not, you know, none of the big, uh, I, as far as we, I know, I think it was just like the birth control and that's what they thought. So warning out there, your attorney should never prescribe medicine to you for anyone in case. Never have your never have your attorney prescribe medicine. Nor should your agency. Yeah. Yeah, want a license, preferably uh, <laughs> yes. you know, a doctor that's uh, specialized in this industry, hopefully. Yeah, as a total side caveat to that, even though this isn't part of this case, nor should your agency. <laughs> And like back to like comparing to like the norm. Correct. The norm would be that she would she would have met a reproductive endocrinologist. She would have gone through screening. She would like be familiar with the clinic of independent parents, like way before this point. Exactly, exactly. So they take these women. They're naive to the process. Um, they, you know, and they they've got good hearts. They pretty, you yeah. know, they did make good surrogates, but they weren't in the right, right process. Yeah. They just didn't know that this is not how they it didn't know, yeah. So they'd, they'd get them on their meds, they'd ship them off to the Ukraine to right. a fertility clinic in the Ukraine. They would get them um, I was, pregnant. I was laughing when I read your material about this. That I so I spent a summer in Ukraine and Lviv or Lvov, depending on what you're saying, Russian or Ukrainian. I actually went there and saw the Pope, so that was, I guess, where they were going. <laughs> the same place where I saw the Pope. There you go. That's exactly it. And so they get there, they get them pregnant. Um, way into the future of the story, we figure out we don't have a clue whose genetics those embryos were. We don't know if they were the doctors and the nurses. We don't know if they were taken improperly from other couples. We don't know anything about the embryos at all. Crazy. So the surrogates would get pregnant. Child now, who is like this child that will be born has no idea of their genetic background. Correct, and there's quite a few of them. So yeah, we absolutely don't know. Um, we've got she she the transfer's done. She comes back to the United States. There's quite a few women. Um, as I said in my materials, um, you know the the FBI I think finally landed on about thirteen. I really think there were far, far more than that, personally, that we just it weren't tracked down. Um, 
but 13 for sure women um, and, and who came back. And essentially what the agency was doing was waiting to see if it was a viable pregnancy, whether she was pregnant with twins or a singleton, whether she was pregnant with a female or a male, and for lack of better terms, like going to the highest bidder. I mean, going out at that point and quote unquote selling to the intended parents. Um, the surrogates were put into this duped idea of when they were headed to the Ukraine that they were already matched. They didn't realize they needed to have a contract or maybe they should meet them or know something about them. I think they were telling a lot of them stories about these fake intended parents that they were, quote, matched with when they weren't matched. Uh, did, they, did they ever meet, quote, unquote, like talk to them or did they go that far? To, like, no, um, not, that, not with mine. I, some of them maybe. I don't know. Um, my surrogate. She had an idea that she had intended parents but never had talked to them. Yeah, exactly. So she was very much believed there were intended parents, that she was matched, that that was a done deal. But then they would always come in with these surrogates and come in with this, uh, you know, an, a, a storyline about why their intended parents were pulling out on them and they were switching uh, their intended parents on them, quote, rematching. But how, how were they not even communicating with the intended parents for the entire first trimester into the second trimester? Like, that seems just like, I can't even imagine, how is the agency explaining away that there was zero contact that far into the pregnancy? Uh, you look at the communications from the agency telling them, this is normal, you just got to trust us, we take care of everything, um, kind of along the lines of, anonymous kind of a, a match idea. I mean, they just, they really framed them up where they tell them, just trust us. This is what we do. Just what you need to do. And we're going to get you money. And then they would have them once they actually matched them after the surrogate was pregnant again, surrogate in quotes, cause she wasn't really a surrogate. Uh, they would find them a couple and they would then put a contract in place. The contract they would put in place though, would act as if it was, it had the exact same language as if the contract had been signed before she got pregnant. Did they back it? As if it was a real surrogacy, as if it, it talked about her getting pregnant in the future about what, she, you know, as if it was, it was like, it was backdated. When they when they signed it, did they date it in a way to date it before her, her pregnancy started? I don't know with the others. Mine never signed hers. Uh, uh, oh, wow. Because with ours, of course, we, you know, I caught on. We got the FBI involved. So with my surrogate, here she is. She's complaining about the midwife issue. We end up, we have phone conferences with the FBI we talk about what's going on. We figure out kind of, we finally start putting some of the puzzle pieces together. I get them the evidence they need so we can really start understanding what's actually going on. And a decision is made that I will, myself and my surrogate will continue the facade of working with them to allow the FBI to get the additional information they needed wow. and to do some wiretapping. Did, so did, that, you wear, did you have to wear a wire? No, it's just Thank through you. the regular phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost just like doing this podcast. Come on. 
it's very much like doing this podcast. You just oh, okay. call through a number so that it can record. Yeah. And and then it calls out for you. So well, the FBI is on this podcast as well. So Right. Always. They're very <laughs> interested in this. <laughs> Yeah, it, it sounds way better if I looked like I had a very fancy outfit on, too, and my hair yeah. was done. Right. Did you wear a disguise? <laughs> yeah. And you're, like, furtively looking around the corner and behind you. And they did a voice change on me. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> no, it wasn't that they exciting. Like, they were just on the line as well, listening. Yes, yeah, so the FBI I would listen call, to the phone calls. We would pre-plan for my conversations with them to see, you know, and all I did was call them, and, and I was just calling them out on everything. So were um, you so asking those questions? Like, hey, who's genetically related to this child? And Yeah, stuff I- like that. They would beat around the bush, or they wouldn't take my calls at times because mm-hmm. they didn't want to answer certain questions. Yeah. And it was, look... My, my client's very upset. There's She shouldn't be rematched. That's not a real surrogacy. It was trying to get them to answer why they, oh, no, this is this is all legitimate. We, you know, and she can't use a midwife. And they would try to negotiate with me that way. But we got them, we got the FBI the information they needed um, to close the loops on the evidence that they needed. So when it came down to it, it was... The, the the actual criminal charges were the the medication issue, obviously. The illegal surrogacy part of it, the taking women and essentially trafficking them out of the country and back in for the purposes of selling babies. And that is, um, yeah, that's a huge concern that people who don't understand surrogacy they claim it's like human trafficking. I mean, normally it's it's not. Do you want to explain kind of like the difference between like normal surrogacy not being human trafficking and this being human trafficking? Yeah, this is this is it's a hundred percent different. And I tell people, look, there there is a very very solid legitimate side to surrogacy, and it has to do with free will, lack of duress, intent to enter into the agreement fair representation, ability and opportunity to negotiate and participate in that negotiation. Was that off the top of your head? That was very impressive. That, that was, was a really incredible list. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and that is like so impressive. <laughs> I've had to make these arguments a few times because yeah. it's it's a sad day when the the criminals of the world are the ones that get to color this because we have so many couples and single people who bought for surrogacy could never see the light of being a parent and being a parent is such a deep natural desire and instinct that people have and it's a shame that it gets colored this way but, you know, the banking industry gets colored with fraud and corruption and embezzlement. The court system with bad judges. I mean, everywhere you look, there's school teachers who are molesting children. I mean, that was an extreme example. But, oh, right. you know, you can't look at any industry and say because there, a crime happened, the whole industry is right. bad. No teachers, no court. Right. There's a bad way to do it. There is a human trafficking version and way of going about this. And there is a non-trafficking proper way of going about this. So 
like any other industry, just do it right and you don't have a problem. But they were after the money and they were after the right to do it illegally. So, there so what was, happened to your clients? Well, so what happened, what happened with a lot of these cases, at least before my client, is they would, the surrogate would very would be put under duress to have to rematch. They do a contract, act as if it was done before the, the pregnancy. Um, they oh, would. The second time there is at least real intended parents, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, who have no idea about the genetics of this baby, have, aren't suspicious for whatever reason that the woman's already pregnant. But, you know, they're being told by these industry experts that this is the right way to go. And then the. Um, Teresa Erickson, the other parts that she really got busted on, too, is that they would create pleadings in California that would also have lies in them, would say that the contract was done before she was pregnant, that they were matched from day one, that these are the people she was matched with. And, and I just the lies just continued in order to obtain an order in California for parentage. And the other thing that they were lying on in California, because California has um, disability insurance for maternity leave uh, that's state-based, and they would have her, so like my surrogate was Nevada, they'd have the surrogates lie and use the Teresa Erickson's address wow. in California oh, wow. to obtain oh, wow. that benefit Ooh. as if they were California residents when they weren't. Some were, but most weren't. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, the levels of corruption and lies and fraud were high level. And with my surrogate, we, of course, we went along long enough that the FBI got what they needed till we finally told the agency, hey, <laughs> this is illegal, not going to happen. Uh, we just kind of cut off communications with them. FBI continued and did what they were going to do in uh, coming down on them. They didn't have to be as secretive now because they got the evidence they needed. And they did their part. And on my part of it, um, I needed to, I found a lovely same-sex couple in Las Vegas that was willing to adopt the baby because my surrogate did not have any intent or desire to have another child in her home. As is normal for most surrogates, right? Most surrogates, right? So um, we ended up doing an adoption. It was a bizarre adoption because I had to do a John Doe termination of both maternal and paternal rights, not oh, knowing right. a thing. That's an interesting adoption hearing to explain, like, Oh, yeah, it was interesting. It was a long adoption petition. Like, I've never done one before. Yeah, right. <laughs> I and mean, hopefully was, never again, right? But, yeah, it, was, oh. it ultimately was based on default because I we had zero information. I was able to say, here's the report from the FBI showing I, we don't have any information. Yeah, I was going to ask, you have, like, an affidavit from the FBI or something? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were able to pinpoint to the FBI to say, look, we really don't know what the genetic makeup is of this baby, who it is. I can publish in a newspaper, which I did for the heck of it, and, uh, and for, for notice purposes. And so I could do a John Doe and Jane Doe In Nevada or in uh, Ukraine? In Nevada, because my surrogate gave birth in Las Vegas. So I... 
um, I had to wait till she gave birth because for adoption, we can't do it before. We have to wait till after the birth of the child. So we started all of that afterwards, um, but we did, we did have an agency. We, we matched her kind of through a private agency for a direct placement, private placement. And that meant that the potential adoptive parents were able to take custody of the baby right away from the hospital. Um, and we could progress from there. So, um, and actually I ran into that attorney the other day and she told me that baby is doing excellent, which was, oh, I wanted to ask, but I didn't know that was, yeah. And yeah, the, the attorney that represented the adoptive parents, because I represented the surrogate in that scenario, of course. Um, and she gave birth, so she had the presumption, but we still did a Jane Doe termination of any potential mothers out there because we really just had no idea. Um, but ultimately, uh, prison time was um, issued for the conspirators. Um, there was some, uh, not, not nowhere near as long as I thought it should be. I don't remember off the top of my head what it was, but it was months versus years. Um, Do you know what happened to the other families as well? Like, was were their parentage called into question? You know, because obviously, you know, in retrospect, this was all obtained illegally. The the FBI, first off, on the criminal end of things, um, did not pursue any of the intended parents or surrogates, even though they were all technically involved in this illegal pursuit. But you know, they went off of uh, they were duped. They didn't have the intent to commit a crime. Uh, they should have maybe been smarter about it and understood it better. Because there's a lot of moments here where you go, hindsight's 2020, and what were they thinking? Right? You sit there and go, well, I, I, don't, I think today most of our clients and most of the people listening to this podcast are going to look at that and go, that's all ridiculous. Yes, that's right. Right? Doesn't That doesn't make sense. But... Um, you know, I always, I call it that, that it's almost like pregnancy brain, but it's the desire to be pregnant brain, which is that fog that people, they just, they can't see clearly. They want a child so bad. They've got, they're relying on people who are supposed to be experts in the industry. So they're just going to go with it and assume it's legitimate. And what you said at the beginning, that people don't know this area. That's, it's very strange unless you work in this or you've had, you know, a really terrible struggle already that you would know anything about how the process works. So someone, I, I say yeah, this to people all the time. You, know, you don't know what you don't know. Then yeah. maybe that's, you know, why wouldn't you believe that? You wouldn't, you yeah. wouldn't know to no, question. You just don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I mean, you just look at it and go, okay. Now, should you sign your name to a contract that's in the wrong tense? Right. Um, probably not, but it's a good example. I mean, I get clients all the time who I say to them, did you read the contract? Well, and I go, no, you already hesitated. Right. <laughs> well, is that the answer I'm looking for? So we're going to reset this phone call and we're going right. to go over this contract a different time. And you're going to go read it. Yes, good <laughs> You have to read it. So, um, and, but they don't always want to, I mean, again, it, it, it's also trust the people that you're relying on, but people look at these long contracts and they glaze over. 
you know, my contract's 50 pages long at this point. Now, mind you, a lot of it's because of cases like this where I've made changes to it. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's not what everybody wants to read. And Well, and I mean, that's the point of having the attorney, though, is you read it and the parts you don't understand, that's what the attorney helps with. You know, it's not that they're there to own that you're just supposed to trust that they that it's all fine because you have an attorney. It's it's that they're to help clarify that and make sure you understand it. Yeah, exactly. And to sit there and go through it with you and assure that there's no duress for lack of understanding. Um, you know, there's a lot of legal terms. I try to keep the legalese down a little bit, but it's hard. You know, I gotta use certain terms, I've gotta use certain words. And, but, you know, at that time, Nevada law had not changed. We did not have a requirement that the surrogate had to have an attorney. Um, they, there was all kinds of, you know, when you get deep into fraud and a crime, I've learned, you really start to circle around on other ethical problems because they tried to tell her they'd answer, they, the agency, uh, Hillary Neiman, would answer all of her legal questions. But then suddenly she was the attorney for the intended parents. But she was in the contract that said my surrogate had to continue to report everything to them, even though they're not her lawyer. And, you know, it just it just kept circling. But they didn't want her to talk to a lawyer. Well, no, because when you're doing something criminal. Because by the, the time she talked to an attorney, that's exactly what happened. They fig- You figured it out really fast. <laughs> exactly. So they were, you know, they. Their lies and their their deception really just started tangling in on each other, and it just got worse where the ethical violations just grew. I mean, they grew and grew and grew. And, you know, but it, like I said, I have it, she's a sweet, amazing woman who really, at the end of the day, really stood up with the FBI and really, you know, helped bring justice to this case. But she didn't come to me because she was worried about the justice at the beginning. She came to me because she wanted to use a midwife. (laughs) Then when I pointed everything else out, she went, oh, (laughs) this is bad. (laughs) This is not good. You know, and I didn't. How did the compensation work? They would, they would, it was bad because there was nothing really written as to what she would get on the beginning. So these surrogates were getting pregnant blindly without even knowing what they would. And were they told? I think they were given, yeah, false promises or random promises by phone at different times. I don't know exactly what those conversations were, but my client had a very specific expectation of what she would get. Um, So however that came to be, it wasn't in writing. When they finally did a draft of the contract, it was in there that the new matched intended parents would pay her. Um, but, you know, the FBI sting and everything else, my client never got paid a dime. Wow. And that's really unusual, too, because it should, I mean, currently it's very common that it's structured that she's paid monthly or she's received compensation monthly during the pregnancy or um, transfer. So, you know, normally if she did it today, she would have at least been receiving some sort of compensation through that point. But it sounds like that wasn't what they were doing. Right. They were giving her a hard time about reimbursements. They had told her that she had to pay for all of her own medical at one point. Um, 
which I mean, there was just there were so many layers of uh, no, that's not okay. That does not protect the surrogate in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but when you're weaving the tale of lies, what they were really doing is trying to wait and see what they could get a new set of intended parents who decided to match with her to do. But they were taking huge fees and barely giving the surrogates anything. Um, you know, it's the just just the fact that the contract said she had to pay for her own medical. I mean, made my skin crawl and and jump up and down and scream and yell. And that's kind of even though the surrogate was mainly worried about the midwife issue, she had also been worried about money and how right. to pay she's, for this. She's paying money for this, yeah, right. And she, you know, she was a very healthy woman who that's, you know, the midwife part of it was she's very conscious about how she took care of herself and all that kind of stuff. So she was dumbfounded and she said, well, they told me that these intended parents had so many children. Like I said, it was I it, the, the number 13 rings off the top of my head. I can't remember exactly right now, but um that they know the dangers of using a midwife versus being in the hospital. So now the reality is the best we can tell in all ways, shape or form, there was no original set of intended parents. There's no, no one that's come forth. There's no evidence that's come forth that they ever existed, that it was ever real. The best we no, I was to say, I just, so from even from the beginning when they were presenting her or purporting to have this match for her, w- were they telling her at that time that she was matching for a family that had 13 children already? Because I know, no. like, we have surrogates now who, yeah, we have some now that they say, you know, I really only want to match with somebody who uh, doesn't have children yet. You know, like, those are things that, you know, in in this time, we ask because it matters to surrogates. Yeah. Yeah, it matters because altruistically, they're looking at how, you know, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to go through this much effort, you know, someone that already has a kid is not as bad of shape as someone who's never been able to have one at all. So, no, I don't think she was told that it was it came up as part of the excuse as to why, uh, you know, when they were trying to weave the tale of why she was not matched. Because they didn't have a story yet. I don't think they knew what their excuse was going to be till she started throwing the fit about the midwife. And they went, ding, ding, ding. We have, we have a storyline to use. Because um, my understanding is with the other women, it was a different story each time. Um, now, most of the women that they dug up through time had already been um, parents of the children. And... Uh, you know, had they had done the illegal pleadings in California, gotten the order, etc. Um, my understanding is because there's no ability or any resource of knowing where the embryos came from, none of those parentages have been contested. And my understanding is a few of the attorneys who knew about several of the couples have advised them to go ahead and do. Um, a readoption or do an adoption in their own states just to clean up the mess um, and make sure that they have a clean order of parentage, uh, which would be highly advisable. Mine it turned into an adoption on the front end, so we didn't have to worry about that. But 
you know, there's been CNN stories about this. There's been, um, there's other articles and stuff out there about a few of the families, but a lot of the families, we don't know who they were. They just, they remained confidential, um, which is good. But you're right, you know, we kind of started this with, they don't have a clue about any of the medical makeup of their child's history, medical history from family lineage or anything. I'm curious if anyone's like DNA tested and they're like, oh, you're you know, Eastern European, likely. Right. Well, I'd be curious also if the families, if any of them have been allowed to know each other, if they have done that and to, to see if their children are biologically related as well. Yeah, I don't know because I we were never linked in a way where we knew any of the others. Um, my client became, because she was a current case, um, she became one of the kind of primary uh, poster child for the FBI for their case for bringing it down. Um, there were a couple other women kind of concurrent to mine. Um, the I do, but we've never, I don't know who any of the others are. And I don't think my client does either. But um, the FBI since then, I mean, I've had long discussions. He was an amazing FBI agent. I just, I adored him at the end of the day, you know, because he really, he really dug in and he learned surrogacy. He figured out he had to, you know, it was not a normal area for law enforcement to get involved in. And he's just going, I don't understand. You've got to explain this to me. So I spent a lot of hours with him just explaining are how everything works, how the law works, what the law is supposed to be, even though it's silent on certain things, that's not the way it is. That's not the way it's supposed to be. This is why it makes it illegal. Now they had, like I said, other very solid things to hang their hat on for the legal part of it. But um, since then he's been involved in uh, several other areas of fraud, not just in surrogacy, but adoption and just, um, just that whole area. And, you know, when I look at it and I think, thank goodness, because somebody said to me at one point, why would we shed light on these bad cases? Doesn't it scare people away from doing surrogacy? And I say, absolutely not. I disagree. You, you shine light on it to show that we're willing to self-police ourselves. We're willing to watch out for what's bad within it, that there is a right way and a wrong way of going about this. And that the bad guys need to be taken down always, no matter what it is. There's bad, there's bad medical doctors out there prescribing opioids at high, high, high levels. And we have a massive opioid addiction crisis in the United States. And we're not going in and saying we should, we should all not ever go to a doctor for pain. That's not the solution. <laughs> the solution is find the bad guys and point them out and chase them down. And make it happen. So when we, uh, I don't know if you listen to our other episodes, but we often do like a lesson learned. Um, and I feel like you're the best person to do that because there are so many lessons to be learned from from what happened, both from a gestational carrier, a potential woman who's thinking about doing this for someone else, as well as intended parents who are kind of figuring, figuring who to go with and what to look for. What would your advice be to, to both sides? The, number one, if you're going to be using an agency, look them up. Assure they are legitimate. If they say they're a company, are they really? Are they formed as an LLC, as a corporation? What state? 
any state, you can go to their secretary of state's office. That's where the business entity forms are. And you can find out if they're really registered. All that information is online. If you're still suspicious of them, if they say they have now, a lot of people have home offices, so I'm not going to down put a home office, but when they say they're operating with 15 staff and they have a physical location and you Google satellite map it and it shows a, you know, a lumber yard <laughs> <laughs> or something very irrelevant, then Sometimes you need to look at like lumber yard, but... Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm not downplaying a home office, but if they're not being honest to, with you about having a home office and that's what they're doing, um, then you need to look into it some more. And it's okay to have a home office. Just make sure the person's licensed if they're an attorney, um, although that wouldn't have helped in this case. But I think the real part of it was this was a truly fake company the company name would change on different emails when we started digging through everything oh wow different names they had different uh they called themselves you know there was just different references to different things um talk to references talk to other people who have used them um you know you for surrogates out there you do not leave the country to get pregnant Without everything being taken care of first, you need to meet those intended parents. You've got to get to know them. You should know their names. You should talk to them on the phone. You should have a feel for exactly who they are. Do you have to meet them in person? Not always. Do what? You should know who's genetically related to the child you're carrying. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's okay if it's an embryo donation, right. but you should know that. Right. And exactly. You should- yeah. Right. You, you should know that the doctor, that all of the releases are put in place for it to be donated. Um, if you need to have a contract before medical, some states it's statutorily required. Um, some states it's still vague. There's a lot of states that don't have that written into law or don't have any law written on surrogacy, but we still do surrogacy there. You should have a contract. And my personal preference is before medications. Some attorneys say before embryo transfer. I think you're already under duress if you're taking those big old shots in your butt. Um, they're painful and they're not fun. And you feel you're going to feel that pressure of like, I have to do this and feel like you can't negotiate your contract. Don't sign a contract that has lies in it. You know, it's, it's one thing to read it and go, oh, they just made some mistakes and feel okay about it. Make them fix it. I tell my clients, I do a flat fee for a reason because I want you to come to me a hundred times if you have to. I will fix every comma or every two spaces that should have been one space in the contract. Like fix it. Don't sign it unless it's exactly right. It's a hundred percent real and true. If it says you did something that you haven't done, fix it. Tell them you haven't done that. Tell the attorney you haven't done it. And if you're a surrogate, fight for a lawyer if you're in a state that doesn't mandate it. Nevada and California mandate an attorney for both sides, and you have a right to have one. Fight for it. Both intended parents... And also the attorney should practice in the state where you're going to deliver the baby as well. Typically, yeah. Um, there's a, At least one there's side should know the law you're going to deliver. That I can talk about, yeah. Um, as long as a attorney in the in that relationship is from that state where the child's going to be born 
or where the right as long as somebody has some knowledge of that no and i agree you can have an one side can have an out-of-state attorney but it's more that somebody needs to have knowledge of the state that you're actually delivering in as opposed to obviously in this erickson case where you know there were california and maryland attorneys and you were dealing with a nevada surrogate who was was your client supposed to give birth in nevada or was she planning to she was supposed to give birth in nevada yeah the, but they didn't want her to have a lawyer. I mean, they were working their butts off to keep her from having a lawyer. So, um, you know, it's it, – there's so many things here where people just go, duh. But in the moment, people were wrapped up in it. Again, it's that emotional reaction. Slow yourself down. One of the biggest things I have with my intended parents is they come in. They want the contract yesterday. They don't want to wait. They have no patience for it. And I'm like, you can't do that to your surrogate. You have to slow down and you can't do it to yourself. You need to read the contract. I know you want to be on that next transfer schedule, but it's not fair to anybody that you want the contract done in two days. It's, that means no one really read it. No one really tried. No one negotiated. And that's when mistakes are made. So slow down. You can't figure out if you're dealing with a fraudulent agency if you're not slowing down to smell the uh, suspicion <laughs> and know it's there and realize that something's not quite right. Um, you already said it. No, no lawyer should be giving you medications ever. <laughs> it seems so stupid, right? <laughs> like, what? I don't, I'm not sure how anybody gets to that point, but you've got to, again, I think it's that, um, parentage brain, I guess that's how I'll call it instead of pregnancy <laughs> oh, brain, that right? Okay. Thank you. I think it is. I think we'll define it. It's parentage a new term. Brain. Love it. Parentage brain. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you can't, you can't let that fog everything. You've got to slow down and you sure as heck. Never sign a pleading that goes to the court that has lies in it because that's perjury. You know, it's it's perjury and it's fraud and it's a bunch of other things. So um, you just you don't you don't have to blindly lead or let lawyers lead you or bad people lead you. You can take control over it. Um, I tease when I have clients who are overly in control, but I love them at the end of the day. Um, I think they're still my favorite clients, even though they, they were harder on me. Um, but at least they've got control, you know, they're not just letting things happen around them without paying attention to whether or not, um, I feel that way from an agency perspective as well, is that I love when people are like, no, I I need to question everything you're saying. I'm like, great question away, you know, (laughs) please. (laughs) You're paying attention. Or when people tell me they don't have a contract with their agency, there was no contract with the agency in this case. You know, the surrogate didn't really know what she was going to, what she was in for. She didn't have anything proposed to her for expectations. The intended parents never entered into a contract with the agency because they were trying to keep it, you know, they were trying to hide the lies and the, the fraud that they were committing. So, you know, it's good to have a nice, solid contract with your agency. Um, I don't get it often, but I get it probably five or so times a year where my clients come to me and say, I want you to review my contract with we, the agency. I say, we, we encourage that. We actually have a, like an initial like that, you know, you please do go do that. You know, that, that's an important thing for us is we want people to talk about our relationship with an, as an agency as well. So, yeah, I love that. 
Yeah. And when you have an agency tell you, no, you do not, you do not go to a lawyer. They're just going to tell you a bunch of lies and you know, you should be suspicious, <laughs> right? Anytime the agency or the lawyers or anybody involved starts, you know, questions your, your ability to go do more research or understand something better and goes, no, 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 no. It's fine. Just accept it. That's just how it is. We're run away. Run away. Well, so with my surrogate, there was an email from Hillary Neiman saying to her, you're going to hear all these bad things about us on the, the Cyril Mom's blog, and they're not true. They're just, you know, it's none of it's true. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> right. It's kind of a, why are you, you know, pre-positioning this? Sure. There's lies on the internet. Sure. Everybody at some point gets, you know, I've, my firm does divorce work and I used to do divorce work. And I don't know how many times we've had a bad review from the <laughs> opposing party who was not our client because they're mad that we won. You know, that doesn't mean we were a bad lawyer. I feel like, I feel like that speaks highly of you if they the opposing side. I know, but they're not, they don't put on the internet that they were the opposing party. They just put, we were horrible lawyers, you know, and you're like, yeah. And so we've had to go to Yelp and stuff and say, hey, they weren't our client. This should not be on here. And Yelp doesn't always remove it, but that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> but you're like, yeah, of course the opposing party doesn't like us. That's just natural in a divorce. But question the daylights out of everything. Research the daylights out of it. Ask as many questions as you want. Call around. No one should ever. I feel like this episode is solid gold. All of your advice is so important for everyone kind of thinking about coming into this. So, you know, everyone, I just saved you like Kim's hourly rate. I assume it's at least a thousand dollars. At least we're. No, I I do a lot of free consults. I I'd rather people. I it is an attitude that I have. I want people to start out on the right foot. And if Nevada is going to be the wrong foot for them, why would I charge them to talk to them and go, oh, no, you need to go talk to somebody somewhere else um, or just get them to do it. It's back to that flat fee thing. Most of us in this industry use flat fees and it's on purpose. I mean, some people gawk at it and go, but that's so much. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea by the time you call me a hundred times what the bill could be. You want the flat fee. I promise you. <laughs> I think this was great. I this was really phenomenal. Yeah. And your expertise and even your crazy story of being involved and that you were willing to, to see a problem and stand up for it. And I mean, I can only imagine for her how easy it would be just be like, no, I'll just go along with this because I'm not going to receive any payment. Right. To do this. She got nothing out of it. It's she probably got negative out of it. Yeah. Yeah. She, the right thing. she was devastated because of that being the outcome. Although she was happy to take him down because she was really angry with him at that point. But yeah, she could have easily just slid into the dark and hope would be the FBI caught on to enough other things to bring it down. But, um, you know, it's, it's sad. It's really sad. It really was a black eye for all of us. Um, Cause again, it was somebody who was respected in the industry. Teresa's name was everywhere. And so um, and it took far too long for the state bar of California to pull her license for goodness sakes, but Maryland was much faster about it. <laughs> 
Right. No, I think, thank you so much for one, sharing your story, but two, the bigger thanks is for standing up for what was right. So, and we really appreciate that you came on and talked to us about it twice. You came and talked to us. (laughs) Thank you. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for getting the word out for everybody. It's a good thing, not a bad thing to learn about these bad stories to help everybody do it the right way. Lesson of the day. Uh, do we need a lesson no no uh i mean make sure the agency that you're working with is not under investigation by the fbi to the best of your ability i i mean and it's so hard because as kim noted like um teresa erickson erickson was on tv and so well known so it's hard to to not think that that's a reputable person but i guess like do do your best to really understand the process and how it normally works so that when you're not signing documents or there's no legal right. agreement or something just you seems wrong, you can Yeah. It. I mean, I think if you had done a lot of research and be like, wait, everyone else signs a legal agreement before embryo transfer. Why aren't we doing that? I think there would have been a lot of red flags for people. So, yeah, yeah no, definitely. And I, I will say just as a kind of dovetail off that, that I, I know at the beginning we played a call from somebody and we love to get those calls. And, you know, a lot of time that one was just perfect, like kismet timing that the call came through like the day before we were intentionally going to record this episode. So it was just phenomenal timing, but anything else, if people have other questions, it'd be amazing. You have no idea how often some of these questions are asked. So please keep calling. The number is 303-997-997. One nine zero three, and we would love to hear from you. So please do call us. And also, you know, obviously, all our my my favorite things to bring up every time. Make sure you review us on iTunes and all of that fun stuff. But please keep listening. And um, as a, I, I'm gonna side note my side note my side note again here. <laughs> also, we're going into the holidays. And uh, Ellen and I are going to release over the next couple of weeks some special episodes to us. Uh, we are going to give our stories of births of our children. So please, um, it I, it's amazing. I always feel, <laughs> I always thank the guests here for how open they are and honest. And when it's your turn, it, it's funny how... Um, terrifying it is so i i hope that everybody is kind to us as we share our stories because i i feel very raw and open and exposed when now that we've recorded these um and and they were also recorded when we first started so please excuse our our um our earliness of it but we we put them away and now feel ready to share them for the holidays so i hope everybody has a wonderful and relaxing time uh with family and with friends so happy holidays Mm -hmm.